Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Vicky Robertson. Vicky is Chief Executive and Secretary for the Ministry for the Environment, a role she's held since 2015. Prior to that, Vicky was Deputy Chief Executive and Chief Operating Officer at the Treasury. Vicky has a background in law and economics, and she enjoys collaborating with a wide range of stakeholders to bring about significant reform on some complex areas such as climate change, freshwater quality, and the resource management system. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more today. The first question I'd have for you then, Vicky, is when you were a child, what careers did you dream about or aspire to? Yeah, it's hard to dwell way back then. But I think when I was a child, I didn't have any great career aspirations. I thought at one point I might be a teacher, which, you know, in hindsight would have been a terrible thing. They are amazingly patient people, which I'm not. And uh, yeah, I didn't grow up kind of wanting to kind of be anything. I was very heavily into sports. So I probably, if I had any career aspirations, I really thought I would be in some sort of sport psychology or PE or that sort of realm. So yeah, I didn't really, I didn't have a, I want to be an ex. And I think that's common for most of us, actually. Sometimes people have this epiphany and they follow that for the rest of their lives. But most people, it takes a wee while. We try a few things out before we perhaps find a bit more of a path. And then, so what was it that drew you then into, say, law or or economics as you went through? Yeah, and I think um, just on the career piece, I think it's it's kind of almost like a patchwork quilt over time because you grow and change and things that I'm interested in now I wasn't then. And that goes for what I chose to do in varsity. So I, my father was really keen that I did law and I thought, oh, well, I, can't, I didn't have a better idea and I thought that would be a good thing for me to do. I was playing hockey at the time, so I was kind of juggling being a sports person and, and doing law. So, I, yeah, that's how I got into to that. I went to Victoria University and had a great time there. Didn't become an A student by any means. In fact, I came out and, and didn't get a, any interviews with law firms at that time. And in hindsight, that's probably a really good thing. Yeah. So it's always, hindsight is always twenty twenty, mm. as they say, but also I think sometimes that that things often do work out for the for the best without, at the time things can feel disappointing, but actually in hindsight they can work out for the best. And tell me then, Becky, what about your first job or, or jobs? What did you learn from those? Yeah, I suppose it's what, what do you consider your first jobs? Because, you know, way back I, I was a rousy and a sharing gang and did some dairy and milking of cows and those sorts of jobs. So those were actually quite grounding and quite great for being parts of community. So in, in both instances, my first out of university job was with what was the Ministry of Commerce. So I went into the regulatory area, so thinking about competition law, which I actually really enjoyed because it was a mix of how you thought about law, economics, how things work in practice in in markets and oh, and also just yeah, how do you how do you think about whether competition's a good thing or a bad thing? So I quite enjoyed that as a as an entree into the public service and 
kind of gave me a thirst for what could be achieved from a, a government perspective and how much that change at the centre of government or what happens in Wellington or can actually affect how, how the systems of things that, that change. So, yeah, that was quite interesting. Did a bit, eco- mm. bit of economics through that too, so that was always yeah, a bit mind-boggling, but very good. <laughs> but nice to be combining both, I guess, those streams of study in your first job. Yeah, yeah, and some, some gnarly issues at the time too, so... Yeah, it was it was um, a distinct learning curve though, as all new first jobs are. <laughs> yes, and then in talking about it being a Rousey and a sharing shed, absolutely, that's a first job. Think about, and you do all those. It, you talked about your career being a patchwork quilt. You learn from all those different experiences. You know, I think back to my first jobs and working in a cafe and things. Absolutely, mm. you learn a lot from those as well as in all the different roles that that you may take on. And you talked about that role being at the what was in the Ministry of Commerce, being I guess a foray into the public sector into public service. What then was it about? public service that appealed to you. Yeah, and this kind of happened again over time and probably a transition for me as a person and and, and it kind of goes into my leadership now from a, a serial over, overachiever and a recovering perfectionist is how I would put it to really getting to grips with what is it, what are the values that I have and the real top value that was coming through by the time I was senior in treasury was that that strong desire uh, and I'm I'm sure we all have it it's nothing special to me but but needing that in my whatever I do in my in my job about making a difference and making a difference that makes a difference to people's lives and I suppose in this role I'm in now too the the connection into into nature so I think that was kind of that became so public service is about that right and the ability to kind of either either do good for people and for for how we live our lives or to actually see how things are, are, are changed that don't don't actually result in better better outcomes for people. So that's kind of my own getting to grips with who I was as a person. I think I really have changed over time in the public service. It's really moulded me as a person as much as really bringing out what probably was underneath in terms of my core core values, really. Mm, and I think those it does take some time to shape those, as you said, or for them to come more to the surface as you go. It's maybe sometimes only through certain tests or experiences that you recognise, aha, that's what's really important to me. Yeah, and I think it's important to, uh, when I was in the last job that you talked about in your intro around in Treasury, I did a values exercise as a way of making choices about my next role. So it's not just a kind of a way of helping make decisions as well about the way that I, what I wanted in, in my next job. And that's why the Ministry of the Environment kind of became quite a top on, on that list because it does, it does speak to that value. Really interesting. And I'll come to that in a second about that path in there. I'd love to hear, as you said, you're in more of a leadership role into Treasury as, as Deputy Chief Executive and Chief Operating Officer. How did you, over time, I guess, develop as a, as a leader as well? So I started out in Treasury really in the regulatory economics area and, and very much an analytical role. And I felt like, because um, I wasn't an economist, I did law, but I felt like I was a bit of an outsider in that Treasury at the time, it was just come out of the 80s and it had a strong framework about how it thought about things. And it didn't really gel with kind of my experience of life because I'd been by my father and we, I've got four brothers and had lived a, a life where we had gone from 
relative wealth and middle class to dad lost his job and just the experience of that and what happens to you is it, it, you know, it just didn't quite gel with the markets will always provide great things for people. And I also I was a single mum by the time I went into treasury. And so I was really starting to question kind of whether the analytical approach actually makes change to people's lives. And in my leadership journey, so I went from being quite analytical probably as a manager and brought in skills around being a competitive athlete, around high performance and high expectations and learned pretty quickly on that you couldn't run a run, you know, run a, run an organization like that or run a team like that, that people are all different and just an adjusting of, of my own leadership. So there was kind of the the double whammy going on there, me questioning how does society work, but also how do teams work and I remember one day somebody said to me, they said, oh, you, you've, you've, you've got it all together and you're so confident and you're, you're amazing lead, leader. And I said, well, I haven't really. And they went, oh, wow, because we feel like we have to keep up with you. And that was the moment I thought, oh, what's my impact on people? And probably for the first time, the experience, which I'm sure we'll have, of showing vulnerability and actually to my team and and actually that that becoming a, a more meaningful leadership and probably I became a better better manager for it but yeah that's a long winded answer but yeah I think happily the concept of vulnerability has I think increasingly been welcomed as a, as a part of being a leader so through the journey from authenticity perhaps through to vulnerability and I think it's only got to be a good thing as you said the sort of the shadow you cast as a leader if it's that everything's always got to be okay then how does it make it okay for other people to come if they're struggling or having a tough time or have made a mistake so but I think I agree equally as a leader there's the pressure to feel that you have to have all the answers so you always have to be in control so reconciling that and being able to be a leader and being vulnerable is not always. And so tell me then, what was that journey to the role that you're doing now as the Chief Executive at the Ministry of the Environment? Yeah, well, I was probably as shocked as anybody to get the job. (laughs) 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 Um, Pretty excited too, you know. um, Again, the thing that was coming out for me as a as a leader, but also just as a as a Kiwi or as a New Zealander and probably a little bit starting to explore our own whakapapa, is just the importance of the environment or or nature to to who we are as New Zealanders and and the quality of our lives. So that the the kind of chance to to be in something that is more thinking about that long term. I quite like that. It's intergenerational. It's what we do today is going to be good or not good for my own mokopuna. Um, so that that I really liked the idea of that, and I uh, really liked the idea that you that we we potentially could make a difference to those really long term outcomes by by the opportunity of what MFE is is doing. I mean, with the others, of course. Um, so yeah, I, that was what drew me to the role. I was less less keen on being the title of the CE sits less well with me but the kind of opportunity somebody said to me one day or it's like you're in a lolly shop and you've got lots of choices to go and have different lollies to to make a difference to to what you really care about so and that's just got stronger over time I think in terms of particularly the intergenerational what are we going to leave for our grandchildren and yeah having hope about that just Mm -hmm. yeah I mean we we grew up with my dad, with real experiences in nature. And you just see less and less people having that, even a few Māori having uh, the real connection back to your, to your land. So I think just how special that is and hearing stories from Europe where that's just lost and what that does for people as well as for, for what we have around us. So, yeah. 
I think there's so much of that. There's definitely the intergenerational aspect. And I think myself having three kids now, Mm. but lived for 17 years overseas and coming back home to New Zealand. And we have an amazing country and equally we also need to take care of it. I think also that kind of that connection to the land, the benefit that it has for people's broader well-being and mental health absolutely flows through. So it's it's a very wide ranging area that, uh, that you have. Yeah, and there's there's the what we call the kind of the hard things that we we're working on. Like at the moment, we're working on resource management reform, or we're working on improving water quality. But you're right that it goes beyond that in terms of, and I think we're only just touching this around people's connection to nature and and how good that is for our well-being. You started to see that discussed in urban environments. I see Wellington's just kind of come out and been talking about that in terms of their own urban development. Yeah, so we 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 touch on that. We we don't have huge work programs on that, but I, there's definitely definitely that connection there. I think the other thing that we take responsibility for things that we're connected with. So for me the the access for people in urban environments to nature is really important because or well, you saw it through lock or you've probably seen it through Auckland lockdown. People want to A connect with people and B get out and in some form into into the bush or just their local neighbourhood. We see that's that's important. And if you do connect, then you kind of care about what what whether that's going to be there even in your own lifetime. So I think that's really important. Mm, and in your tenure, you would have even in it's been last five six years, you would have seen such interesting changes in terms of I guess the climate change emergency that that now exists and that continued shift of public sentiment as well would have been really interesting to see. Yeah, it has been really interesting. I think when I started, it was still very much, this is a a worldwide problem that we as New Zealanders might have a role in, but should be small and not sure about what we should be doing domestically and if we should be it's kind of yeah not too big to nowadays it's almost we're not going fast enough so Mm. I think when I talk to younger people they have a real sense of dread around that and I think I think some of our role is to to make sure that we're on a pathway that shows that we are we are doing things and that that gives hope that that we can as a society tackle climate change I think the changes in the climate and the impacts in New Zealand has really brought home some of that for for New Zealanders, for those that are probably more in the not sure how much we should do camp. And we see much more uh, companies taking long-term climate risk into account. That'll probably become mandatory soon. We've just, we're just consulting at the moment on our emissions reduction plan for New Zealand and a lot of real support for, for that, for action in New Zealand. So yeah, it's changed heaps in just a very short time. Amazing. Yeah, fascinating. And what is it that you really love about your work? The bits that I love about my job, always, always working with um, people. It's I, I do love the leadership part. I always also find that the hardest. If I'm waking up at night, it's usually because I'm worried about somebody mm. <laughs> and how they're going. So yeah, I mean, I do, I do love that that part of the aspects of the role. The other bit that I've really really started to and I think this is again challenging but also important and starting to love is we work with everybody so whether it be uh, treaty partners Māori iwi on the ground local government business environmental NGOs civic societies you know it's a whole range so you feel like you kind of maybe I'm in a bubble but it's both challenging because they challenge us uh, and either you're doing too much or too little with farming community but but it feels like you kind of you're almost getting to a place where you're going, okay, what can we do together? 
which I find is pretty cool and has parallels both to being a team sport person, but also what you've seen in COVID a little bit where you kind of can come together as a society and, and crack out really hard hard issues. So, yeah, that, I, I really, it, feels, it feels really real to me. It feels like there's possibility in that. And as you said, actually, through whether it's through not only conversation but also potentially regulation at a certain point in time, you can have an impact on these big complex issues. And we've talked a bit about some of the things that you really, I guess, love about your work. If you look back at your career to date, what have been some of your toughest career challenges or moments? The transition into a, from a from a Treasury Deputy role to, to a CEO role probably was one of my great, greatest learnings, but also, you know, greatest joys, but also quite challenging and there are lots of lessons I've learnt even in this short time. I've had my ups and downs of oh gosh you know am I any good at this and am I really a CE and all that sort of thing. Yeah so that's that's been really and probably because it's a six year so it's quite front of mind. Are we making a difference? That comes to mind quite a bit. One of the other challenges I had along the way and Michael Cullen actually talks about in his book May Rest in Peace around when he came into Treasury he really didn't want advice and I was head up of the tax team at the time and we were part of the what he called the ideological burp so we had this situation where we didn't really get on with our minister and that didn't go very well for a while but over time Michael and I had a really good relationship but it was quite a challenge and quite different and how important that relationship is with your ministers has been a learning for me over my career yeah yeah absolutely and the first one you talked about almost that kind of Going into the role thinking, oh, am I am I good enough? Am I work coaching with women? With women, that is very often that loads of women struggle with that feeling of, oh, do I deserve to be here? Is it the right place for me? Can I be the leader I need to be? There are all sorts of self doubts potentially going on. I mean, how did how did you work through that for yourself? Yeah, I think it was sort of <laughs> top tips. And, you know, I've reached out. To, I think asking for help has been an important thing for me, which is not in my nature at all. Kind of kind of self-resilient and brought up by, by boys, so that probably didn't help. But I think one of the things I've, I've been really keen on through this is being a bit reflective and, and trying to stop the self-talk. So it's kind of trained when you're doing sport for performance you're trained into analyzing your performance and then kind of saying well these are the things I did wrong and I'm going to change them for the next well that's how we were trained and you don't celebrate success at the time you kind of go okay we won that game or we lost that game right we're off you know and that was kind of one of my learnings in being a, a leader was how important it is to stop reflect on what you've done well for you personally but also for your people and celebrate those small successes as much as the big thing that I want to make a big difference in my life to that sort of um and and the, the pace of my leadership in that so I've reached out to learn from others in that both here but also through all sorts of listening to leadership people as people you know I kind of I grab on things like Brene Brown's gifts of imperfection and things like that but I'm always kind of yeah reducing the inner critic has been a big thing for me and saying well thank you very much that's nice to hear but you know this is the things that I'm I'm pleased with um and and again it's not just for me but it's also for my people because otherwise it can drive them a bit hard Mm, and I think you're so right that we spend a lot of 
time looking at the things we didn't do so well and always kind of constantly searching for improvement, but actually sometimes just stopping and going, actually, that was pretty good and look how far we've come and let's celebrate. Even if it's a small thing, that can just give you a bit of that boost as well. My biggest, and this is where I've learned too, you, you, you're a leader in all aspects of your lives, <laughs> of your lives, you're leader in the small L. I think I learned it through my kids more than anything because actually you can't come, you know. <laughs> One of my children is um, really challenging and, yeah, this, the humility I had to go through and let go of the guilt of that um, probably taught me a lot too in terms of my own leadership. Mm-mm. I think, as I say, as a mum of three myself, I know my kids yeah. constantly test me. I'm not always my best self around them, but I have to remind myself they've definitely taught me the value of patience, uh, yeah. but also a bit of fun too in there. But I think, yeah, definitely there's loads of broader lessons that we can take from our family environments too. And Vicky, you've got a, a big job, a busy job, and also I think a role that she said you want to make an impact, it feels like it can really make a difference to the future of the country. How do you then within that find some sort of balance between your work and your broader life? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said it's an energy thing, not a time thing. And, and I think that's still true, that managing my energy so that I have the energy for other aspects of my life, including my partner and my and my children and my grandchildren, which means that it's being disciplined about what I take on and I do have a propensity to take on too much. Having a good team around me and, and making sure that I'm supporting them to grow so that you know, they, they can, I, I delegate and they, they do their things. Yeah, I, I have this kind of thing of crowding in and I know that, so what I mean by that is, for example, a few years ago I had a hip operation and had to have a new hip and I realised about a year after it that, and that's always been a really important thing for my own mental well-being. So crowding it in now, it's like, okay, you're going, you're going to basically make an appointment with myself to do it and to kind of get consistent in it. And I've never really had to force myself to do that before, but in a job like this, it's very easy that those small things can, can really, um, you just don't have the energy to do it. So now I get up in the morning and do it, which I've never been a morning exerciser at all. Yeah, resilience is, is I think, a daily practice, not a... You know, you go away on holiday once a year and you'll top yourself up and and where you go again. I think that's been really important for me too. The only other thing I'd say there is um, catching myself before I go down the energies. I actually get to a point where I don't, I'm feeling um, too tired to really cope, trying to catch that and, and do the things that I know work for me before I go down there has been really important for me as well. And because I've had a propensity just to keep going and then go, oh, Heck, <laughs> look at me, I'm not coping. Yeah. And I think sometimes with that concept... So a work in practice. I think most of us are a work in practice when it comes to balance, <laughs> to be honest. I know, certainly you know I am. But I think, you know, you talking about that word resilience is such an interesting one because sometimes there's the feeling of resilience means you've got to be tough and just keep going and keep going. Mm. But actually part of that is daily practice and, and making sure you're doing things that keep your energy up, but also recognising before it's too late when your energy starts to dip. That's a great point. And if you think about your career, what have been some of your proudest career moments? So some of the things that have really excited me in, in probably in this role, but also some of the things I did at Treasury, one of them is having or building my own capability, but also the organisations around Te Māori in our space where 
nature's so inherently important for Māori is such an important part of what we do. So yeah, that's been, you don't see kind of results from that, but it's been something that I've been proud to be part of, I think is probably how I would put it. Yeah. Yeah. some of the other, I mean, there's there's quite a lot <laughs> in the past in terms of the, the things that we've landed. The climate change, we're kind of setting up things for the future. So we've been part of the Zero Carbon Act and landing that and now landing what the plan would be for New Zealand. I mean, those are quite big and foundational changes. So that's pretty cool to be part of too. And fresh getting on to a a bit of a pathway around freshwater quality and whether rivers will be of quality in the future, I think has been been pretty cool as well. When I was in Treasury, I was part of the Kiwi Saver piece, which I think was quite innovative for Michael Cullen at the time. And yeah, that was that was a good thing to be part of too. Just a different type of thing to do. One of the really interesting things I did at one point in time was go off to the UNDP in in New York and work with Helen Clark and Heather Simpson for just a very short time, just four months. And I took my 12-year-old son with me. So we went off and lived in New York City in the snow for four months. And yeah, that was quite mind-blowing, just the whole American culture and New York and the UNDP and and working with those two. So that was, was, I mean, I didn't, I can't say I was, I, I really achieved a lot there, but kind of my job was to do a strategic review of that that organisation for, for Heather and Helen. But I learned a lot just in terms of leadership and just, yeah, different way of living, I suppose. Was glad to come home, I have to say, but New York's pretty amazing. Yeah, wonderful. And as you say, almost those moment where you have a completely different experience where you're able to learn so much from people and from that experience alongside, you say, areas like climate change and freshwater quality or KiwiSaver, which laying foundations or hopefully changing New Zealand for the better. So, yeah, a range of areas. And I'd have one last question, Vicky, is um, what career advice would you have for other women? I know you've given a few bits and pieces like around managing the inner critic or that balance piece, but are there any other pieces of career advice that you'd have for women? You know, I think it's true. I see it all the time that research that shows that women always underestimate their ability and therefore don't go for roles uh, until they're 100% sure, whereas men would go for roles where they're about 80% sure. And I see that all the time for women, and I probably do it to myself as well. I think it's really important to get a different perspective from people you trust to try and almost get a, a cheerleader or a person to say, no, you can do this. Why not? What have you got to lose? Because I see that, yeah, I see that a lot. I think as I, with all of our roles, we we come up for review, you know, we have fixed term in roles. So I'll start to go through that process for myself. It's like, well, okay, what what are the range of things that, that might I might like to do? And I think that's the other advice is, is don't limit. Don't limit yourself to what it is that you're doing now. And I'm challenging myself to do that as well. What is it that you would love to do is a really good question. I struggle with the... What is it that you're strong at? You know, what are your strengths? And and I think that's also a really good thing for people to do as well, for women to do especially, knowing your strengths and 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 finding something that that plays to those means that you'll love your job and you'll love what you're doing. So yeah, I think being kind. I hate that word, but you know, we there's striving and there's kind of just well. At one point, somebody said to me, "Look, you might get as much satisfaction from different sorts of roles," and that was really good advice. So it's kind of yeah, matching matching to the values and what you love doing as opposed to the whatever the role says it is or the title or something like that. 
Wonderful advice. And I think you're right. You're thinking about what work might be fulfilling for you. And as you talked about, sometimes that changes over time. And sometimes we think at the start, it's about climbing upwards, that it might be about sideways or moving all over the place that sometimes gives you as much fulfillment. But equally, I like that piece you talked about. Finding cheerleaders, if you've got a bit of doubts, maybe look for somebody else who who might believe in in you and and not limiting yourself as well in terms of your your options. Wonderful advice. Thank you. Vicky, it'd be such a pleasure to speak to you today. And thank you so much for your time and sharing your career story, your journey and, and loads of wonderful advice along the way. Oh, thanks, Anna. It's been lovely to talk to you too. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Music